The Tokyo release is here, and it's time to find out what our developer advocates think are their favorite features, this time on Breakpoint. Welcome to Breakpoint, the ServiceNow developer podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Tomasi. Hello, ServiceNow admins, builders, developers, and curious individuals. And of course, I always say that with the utmost love and respect. Welcome to Breakpoint, the ServiceNow developer podcast, where we bring you the latest tools, tips, and tradecraft to accelerate your career. We've got not one, but two, two guests today, my fellow developer advocate teammates, starting with our newest team member, Lauren McManaman. How are you today, Lauren? Hey, all Chuck. I'm doing great. How are you doing? Off to a good start, as always. And also joining us is developer advocate Earl Duque. Hello, Earl. Hey, I love these three guest episodes. Have we done any of these before? I don't remember. With the developer, it's only for developer advocates. Ooh. Rock on, man. Well, now you've both been on the show before, so we'll keep the introductions light. Let's start with you, Lauren. Hey, my name is Lauren McManaman. I am the newest member of the Developer Advocate team. I've been doing fun ServiceNow stuff for about seven years as a former customer turned employee, and I've just transitioned off of being a solution consultant. So I'm very, very excited to be joining y'all here today. Woohoo! And also, Earl, please give the listener a little bit about yourself. First of all, welcome, Lauren, to the team. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Earl Duque. I am a developer advocate with ServiceNow. But before ServiceNow, which was about a year ago when I joined, I was in higher ed. I was doing a bunch of different positions, usually engineering to team leading to starting up student developer programs. But I've been with ServiceNow for about ooh, five years now. But before that, I was in student affairs and contract management, basically everything not really tech. Well, thank you both very much for joining today. Let's get on with the main topic. And rather than do a rundown of all the features like we have in the past, uh, we're going to cover some of our favorite features that impact developers, mainly around App Engine, Automation Engine, platform features. Let's take a, a you know slightly different approach than the inventory that we've done in the past and zero in on some of our favorites. And I think we'll do this round robin style. So in the spirit of live coding happy hour, we'll go in the same order. Lauren, why don't you kick us off with your first Tokyo favorite? I get the pleasure of kicking things off. Well, I, if I would be remiss, especially if having worked with customers so intimately over the past couple of years, I would be remiss to say that probably my number one piece of excitement um, is App Engine Management Center. So it debuted, obviously, in the San Diego release to some extent, but always that second release is where you really start hitting the stride for any new product. And seeing what is coming out for that specific piece is probably my number one. You have to explain to the listeners who don't know, what is App Engine Management Center? So App Engine Management Center is a really nice workspace that was introduced in San Diego to answer a bunch of questions. So as the community around App Engine in general grew, obviously the need for its maturity grew as well. And so people were wanting more insight as far as usage and management and how things existed in the various uh, instances that they owned. And so App Engine Management Center was introduced to answer a bunch of those questions. Um, essentially, once the concept of pipelines was introduced, you could see basically track an app through its entire life cycle through the management center. That piece alone was really helpful to track functionality and bugs and things like that. 
as, as well as like deployment processes. So obviously probably putting something onto sandbox is probably very different than putting something onto or hopefully different than putting something onto prod um, as well as a lot more like things around security. So reducing risks and bottlenecks is a huge functionality point of the Tokyo release. Uh, and I think that that was something that was had a large room for improvement in San Diego. And it's exciting to see so fast. Magnificent. Earl, what's on your list? So I was talking about in the intro how I came from developer roles right before I joined ServiceNow. And one of my things that I'm looking forward in the Tokyo release is the Upgrade Center. Everything about the Upgrade Center and everything about what changes they're bringing to the upgrade kind of excite me because I know that will make the lives easier for a lot of the developers out there. And so in Upgrade Center, you'll be able to do um, upgrade previews. You can watch um, analytics and and insights about the upgrades that are happening across your instances, uh, monitoring systems. But the thing I was excited most to hear about is that you'll be able to move away from update sets when you do your upgrade reviews. So um, most developers know that when you do an upgrade, uh, there are things that you have to go through to review through your skip list Mm -hmm. and to... Uh, fix things. And usually you bundle all those things inside your update sets um, and you release those as you do your upgrades. But with the changes in Tokyo, uh, they're taking that, they, they're allowing developers to uh, move away from the update sets and use the in the in company uh, app repo. And so it feels just a little bit more part of the system, more organic. Uh, you can, um, not rely on update sets to do it. So that means you could do versioning of your upgrade, uh, your upgrade. I don't, I don't know what to call them now. It's not update sets. Upgrade plans is what they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're bundling yeah. them together. So you can go through and see this application has these plugin dependencies and has made these changes. And this is what I want to do with them. It's all part of this plan that you then publish just like an app through the app repo and then move it through dev and test and prod and and install it from what is it system applications my applications yep. uh, you know, my company applications same place you would for any of the other applications you've pushed through the app repo so it's it's simplified it and made the the whole goal is to shorten that upgrade cycle time yep and everyone loves faster upgrade cycles I can't think of anybody who's ever said, gee, I wish it took longer to do upgrades, except maybe a person who works by the hour. <laughs> yeah. All right, mine, I'm I'm going right for the developer's heart here because it's been one of our most requested features in the last six years. Mm-hmm. It's got to be the update to our ECMAScript standard. We have been using... ES5 for since 2014, 2015. I don't remember exactly when we flipped over. Prior to that, we were using ES3 and we were, you know, getting a bit of grief. Now we do take a fork of the Rhino implementation so that we can run JavaScript on the server side. Well, pretty much like any technology, the day you release it, it's outdated. And people say, when are you going to support ES6? When are you going to support ES7? When are you going to... And it went on and on and on. It's like the most upvoted thing on the idea portal. And it's all over the community. I get pinged on this about once every week or so. Well, we are happy to introduce in Tokyo what we're calling ECMAScript 2021. And it supports what we term ES6+. Plus. It's many of the features from 6, 7, 8, 12, 
Now, if you want to find the official documentation of what's supported and what's not, it's on the doc site. You look for the ECMAScript 2021 and you'll find it. It says, here's what you can do out of ES6. And I believe there's a list that says, here's what you can't do. We have a breakpoint, no, I'm sorry, a live coding happy hour from August 5th, where we're going to be tinkering and testing some of these things live. We will have other venues where I'm sure this will pop up. Uh, and we encourage you to do some testing and exploration. I, at the time of this recording, I don't know a whole lot beyond ES5. So I am excited. I've heard good things. I've got uh, a buddy whom I've known for almost 40 years who I trust in these capacities. He's just not part of the ServiceNow ecosystem, but he's he's been you know leaning into me going, hey, you got to start exploring some of these newer features. And uh, I am I look forward to doing filters and maps and things that I don't even know what I'm talking about right now. But hopefully by the time this podcast drops, we'll have a little more experience on that and I will fall in love with it. And who knows, maybe there'll be some updates to the JavaScript series with some of these newer features that we can take advantage of, save time, be more efficient, less code, that kind of thing. All right, back to you, Lauren. What's what's next on your list? Well, for the attendees of the Knowledge 22 content, especially the builder track, a huge theme of that use case was some uh, was a school in a school district creating some sort of app and that template being shared. Now, incidentally, at the time, specific template sharing wasn't actually a real functionality piece, but now as of Tokyo, it will be. So in the Tokyo release, uh, users will have a lot more intimate control over the ability to share templates within the organization to specific like users or groups or just generally to everybody. Um, and so there will be like a whole like governance feature around app templates that I think will be very, very helpful. That's going to be interesting to see what kind of libraries people create of their app templates. And I'm told even more governance is coming. I don't have any specifics on that, but our product team says, watch this space for more governance kind of thing, because that's what customers are demanding. They're like, great. I, you know, I, I'd love to have 2000 developers in my organization building low code apps. Uh, but I need to control them in a, in a little better way. And not just the apps, but the templates seem to fall into that same mindset as well. Absolutely. And one of the interesting things that was starting to pop up when I was active as a solution consultant was using templates for the sake of like a franchise model or things like that, right? Creating a an app for a business that could be easily deployed, but, but allowed them to make small changes. Now, granted, maybe if they were a larger business, like something that was based on a geo, creating a business in Japan, for example, versus creating one in America would be wildly different. And so maybe controlling the permissions around that just to avoid confusion would even be nice. Earl, you got another one for me? Yeah. So flashback to 2015, I was in a contract manager position and not doing any tech, and I had, had never done tech before. And I, my first dive into any form of automation was taking a bunch of Excel spreadsheets that I did that I thought were so slow, and figuring out ways to automate them. I figured out some Visual Basic for applications and started writing my own macros. But I, for a lot of us that are on the platform that are doing administration or development. Uh, we started off with Excel sheets. We that was our bread and butter, and we 
And I was, I loved Excel and I love Excel now. But um, one of the things that I'm looking forward to to Tokyo release is um, Formula Builder. And so Formula Builder is this thing that they're introducing into the dictionary for tables, for columns that um, instead of uh, using JavaScript to do calculated fields, you can use a simpler language that most of us are used to, like Excel language. And so instead of having to learn scripting just to do a calculated field, you could type in the language of equals or concatenation or uh, use the notation that you're used to and it'll build the formula that way instead. And so that's something I know that will benefit the ecosystem as more people, as more of our citizen developers, as more of our help desk converts, um, all those people that are used to Excel come into the system and don't have to necessarily know uh, all the pro code, all the scripting. It'll make it easier for them to get the, get the ball rolling, to create their own apps, to create uh, anything that really helps them uh, get the their first table out the door. So that's one of the next things I'm excited for. Absolutely. Yeah, that's going to be fun to play with from a pro coder standpoint too, because the less script you write, the less technical debt you have. And if the more people can understand what your application does and how to maintain it, because honestly, you know, one of the biggest complaints I've heard in the ecosystem is, oh my gosh, if I get 2000 citizen developers out there, who's going to support these in the long run? Well, if you... Reduce the technical debt, theoretically, pretty much anyone. And especially if it gets handed off to IT to support, God bless you that we've got simple things to think yeah. about instead of digesting somebody's 10,000 line script include. Going, well, they said it was reusable <laughs> and they wrote it quick. It's not documented. Ah. <laughs> we've all been there. We've all been yeah. there. It's one of the things that I always say to anybody that is a pro coder that is scared of low code or get annoyed when they people talk about low code. It, it's, it's not going to restrict you. It's going to make it so much easier for you. Like you said it yourself, the it's so much easier to debug a low code app or a low code formula or anything low code that it is to try to decipher archaic scripts that were yeah. written yeah. 10 years ago in a language and, or in a way that has no, that nobody under, understands and that employee hasn't been here in 10 years. So it's always easier and makes it much more faster to manage all those kind of things. Amen to that, Earl. A lot of the things have, got, have gotten to a point almost where you could almost click like control P, print them out and hand them to someone. And they're equally as intelligible as if you wrote a description of what that thing was actually doing, especially like flow designer. It's always been impressively helpful uh, from maintenance and communication to the business perspective. Yeah, we, we could get on a whole religious war about low code and pro code. But <laughs> yeah, I, I'm the old man in the house, so I'm not going to go there today. <laughs> All right, my next one is around authentication. And usually when you say OAuth, people cringe. It's, it's a fairly complex authentication process. And to date, it's been like, here's your OAuth account for Workday or name your favorite system over there. And it's been one account, one credential, one integration. Well, with Tokyo, we've got the ability to attach those authentications to users. So think GitHub. Maybe we could now be pulling down GitHub examples for individual users. Or when your employee onboards and you need to go set them up or get their tasks out of Workday or your HR 
system, it can be authenticated as that user to get their tasks. I'm looking forward to trying this out on one of our live coding happy hours coming up with Twitter and see if we can get you know a list of tweets and say, schedule this for November 1st, schedule this for November 3rd, schedule this for December 22nd, whatever, as Abel Tudor, as Lauren McManaman, as Earl Duque, and see if we can get Earl's tweet in this table to authenticate and post to Earl's account. Something we can't do easily today, but with Tokyo, that's that's like mind-blowing. It's like, yes, we're finally there. I've been asking for this for years. <laughs> Josh Nerius is no longer with the organization, but even when we were as developer advocates, and then he became a product manager or part of that team, I, I'm like, Josh, when do we get this? When do we get this? And uh, you know, the feature came along after he left, unfortunately, but I, I, I feel like the seeds were planted and he nourished them, and now we get this. Okay, Lauren, back to you. Well, I'm mad because Earl stole my one with Formula Builder. <laughs> it was on my honorable mention list too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair, fair. I just, uh, I really like that one too. So I'll, I'll double click on that. But uh, I think one of the most interesting things that will pop up as far as it's like how it'll be used by all of our customers is doc intelligence. Uh, one of the biggest asks of ServiceNow in the past has been, hey, you make it so easy to attach documents or any type of files to basically any record on the mm-hmm. system. But we would like you to be able to manipulate those attachments with a little bit more dexterity. So doc intelligence will essentially bridge that gap of easily adding files to ServiceNow and then powerfully be able to do things with the information inside of them. So just having the ability to not only see a document, but have the ability to kind of parse through its information and instantly link that to your data structures, it's going to save people, I think, hours and hours and hours of time. I love this. And I've seen this on other systems too, where you scan a document or you send them a picture and it goes, oh, I see the total here and the tax there and the tip there. And, mm. you know, it kind of parses it apart into their system. That's what we're bringing is you'd be able to upload a PO or something and it goes, boom, run it into your process. And hey, you can now use that tied in with the out-of-box flow designer spokes that we're going to provide with the amount is less than a thousand, you don't need an approval. So lots of intelligence you can do with that. I, I like the way that one of our people put it. We basically taught service now how to read. Yeah, that's, that's exactly true. And also, like you said, tie that with the flow designer pieces that already exist. I can think of a million use cases for for that, even which is within my own personal life, let alone my work life. That'd be so nice. Don't make more projects for me, please. It's hard not to. It's really hard not to. Yeah, when you see some of these features, every... Every release, I take a look at the inventory of new stuff and go, oh, what can oh, I do with that yeah. on existing projects and what new projects are born out of this? It's like walking around the, you know, the home improvement store where you go, light bulbs that change colors. Where could I use? I have no, you know, you're making up projects as you're going around looking at the parts. <laughs> Seriously, like I'm about to go on a big scuba diving trip right now. Every time I do a dive, you have to write it in a little book. And so I manually, every time after, log it into a ServiceNow app that I made. But with Doc Intelligence, it can essentially kind of scan through that and make its best judgment on all the information from my dive. It's pretty cool. <gasps> that's, you know, that's intriguing that you could you know, take that hard copy. 
you know, I was filling out a dive log like that 40 years ago, Lauren. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's not changed at all, right? <laughs> it hasn't changed at all. This is truly a legacy process entering the digital era. That's it needs great. to. <laughs> one is waterproof and one is not. So <laughs> sounds like a upcoming app build. Ooh, a, a creator toolbox or a live coding happy hour? Maybe, maybe we do <laughs> have crossed. we do have document intelligence live coding happy hour coming up in mid October. So mm-hmm. watch for that if you haven't already seen it or you're listening to this later. Okay, Earl, give me another one. Next experience. I we have to talk about next experience every time because it is constantly growing. It is the future. It is uh, the frameworks that we all want as developers, and it's growing and growing and growing. So in Tokyo, uh, the amount of new components is great. The there's more parity coming to UI Builder. There's uh, components for uh, mini calendars. What? Let me look at my notes. There's uh, pivot tables. Oh my gosh! Um, condition builders, uh, doc intelligence. Um, there are Gantt charts now. There are uh, modals within it. You can do st- stackable containers now. Um, much more stylized text stuff. There's just like, the component library for uh, Next Experience is growing, and that excites me because, I mean, as a developer, uh, October is just around the corner, and we're going to be talking about Hacktoberfest again. And the idea of people contributing to a collective, the the new framework for next experience and component building really emphasizes the idea of, hey, if you build a cool component, share it. It might become an official component later. It might become something that everybody uses. And so knowing that we're moving toward this uh, component framework, this um, more modern web framework is exciting and it's going to be growing in more and more and it's going to eventually uh be something that we all will want to be on. Um, and what else is the next experience? I, I know they're doing things like you are able to create custom menus mm-hmm. um, and any admi- administrator is going to be able to add custom menus with items that are useful to their fulfillers, to their agents that are most um, needed for their for them to complete their work. And that custom menu will be able to be added into the sidebar and everything. So just a lot of cool next experience stuff. Uh, I can't, I didn't name even half of the things. So check the release notes when it comes out, see all the different things that are coming out and will make UI builder and component building even better. And we will have Ashley and or Brad on a creator toolbox breakpoint coming up in the October timeframe as well. So check the schedule. This is a good time to plug devlink.sn slash Tokyo is our full on. Here's what's coming, when it's coming links. If it's already happened, that kind of thing. So keep keep looking at that and uh, mark your calendars for the points of interest that you've got. Okay, my third one has to deal with our old friend, translations, localization, internationalization, whatever you want to call it. I know there's, there's differences between them, but a lot of people mix up the terms, including me. And uh, when I was at Knowledge 10 as a customer way back when there were 500 attendees for the whole conference. Uh, Jared Bennett was doing a presentation on notifications and somebody raised their hand and said, well, how do I translate that for the end user? And I had done something similar as a customer where I would trigger an event and I'd have like five different versions of the email watching for this event and it would figure out as best it could what language to send it in. It wasn't perfect, but it was it was pretty good. 
fast forward 12 years, <laughs> we now have a built-in way to create the translated versions of those. Effectively, it's a related list on the notification. So you've got your default, let's say it's English, doesn't have to be, and you say, this is how the message will look for my English recipients. And then you've got a related list of translated notifications. So you write out one for simplified Chinese, you write out one for Portuguese and German, and you've got this related list of those versions right on that same record so that you could see. And the system will figure out at the recipient level. So if you send it to a group, it's going to do it at the recipient level and say, this is for Lauren. Lauren likes her messages in her default language is Japanese. Therefore, Lauren gets the Japanese version of this message. And if it doesn't have one, it defaults to whatever the default was. Let's say it was that English one that I used in the example. So a lot of fun there with notifications. That's built into the system. And the second part to this is dynamic translations. Now, this does require that you have, you know, the, the plugins, necessary plugins on both for our, what is it, language translation and dynamic translations is a new one. And you have to have a service that does these translations for you. So you can do the translations dynamically. That one's that one's more of a, a configure setup, make sure the integration works with Google Translate or whomever you're using as your translation service. So you can do these manually and have a library of them, or you can do them dynamically. A lot of options coming up, but this is a major step forward in reducing that trickiness and, and and making the user experience, because that's what we're all here for, is improving that user experience to get them the information they need in the language they most prefer. All right, we've gone through three each. Do you have any honorable mentions you'd like to shout out, Lauren? I do. So probably it's, it's not necessarily like a huge dynamic functionality piece. That's why I kind of kept it to the end of my list. Um, but I really like how in Table Builder, so in the new Table Builder of AES, they basically added an additional toggle. So now not only when you're building your tables, can you look at the forms and the policies, but you can also look at your flows. So the flows that are directly involved and tied uh, to that data structure, you will have easy, easy access to essentially, which is very, very nice for always kind of working in one dedicated environment. And it gets it more to that table-centric development. Like, I've got a set mm -hmm. of records, here's how I want them to look, and here's what behaviors I want to have, the logic around those records as they proceed. So, yeah, it, it, it wasn't that difficult to go back to the home tab, open up the right flow, but now it's right at the top for that table, the, the, the flows that are attached to that table. So, pretty cool stuff. Earl, honorable mentions? Oh, a mini lightning round for me. Here we go. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I'm excited for guide, the new guided setup creation. So this idea of being able to guide people through the actual configuration of certain things on your platform. If you've been through uh, some of the newer apps, you might've seen this kind of guided setup uh, for you, but now you can create your own. The next thing that I am excited for in my lightning round is integration hub debugging dashboard. That's exciting for anything uh, debugging wise, I'm always excited for because it makes it easier for people to do their jobs. And last, I think I'll pick, I am excited for uh, Automation Center, anything that gives me overview of everything that is going on with the robots and anything RPA and anything automation, just so I can see it all in one place makes me happy. And Automation Center is kind of cool because it's got like that whole life cycle. You can take 
you, you, it's got a catalog item, so you can do, the, or maybe it's a record producer. I haven't checked closely yet. The the intake for that process, and then manage those and and approve the ones that you want to get into and implement. So there's like five different personas involved within Automation Center, and yeah. just to control and get the visibility. And ultimately, you know, the way we all justify our jobs is if the CIO or CEO goes, is it saving me money? Is it saving me time? Is it, is it improving the process in general and how much show those measurable outcomes with automation center? So I think that's, that's pretty amazing that it can hit all of those notes at the same time. Uh, I'm going to give a plus one to the guided setup builder I, I have been waiting for this since we came up with Guided Setup in 2016, I think it was. I remember hacking together one of my own, and you had to have main access to get at the tables, and it worked, uh, but it wasn't a pleasant experience. This is much better. It's like, finally, because I think pretty much every custom app needs some kind of configuration. Turn on this yeah. property, set up these lookup records, et cetera, et cetera to be fully functional. And this saves you a lot of that documentation process oh, yeah. that you would need to get this app up and running. I mean, when I did the loaner request app, I think I had like eight videos on how to get this thing set up. Once I did the guided setup, it was like, load the update set, go to guided setup, follow the instructions. Yep. Now people can build those and distribute them with their applications. And this is obviously focused on applications you're going to be sharing between other, you know, I can see our share portal having a transformational effect with these things. This can be great. Uh, the other one I wanted to throw in, since I'm an integrations guy, is SCIM. It is a standard for doing integrations of users and groups between systems. Many of us have done the old, hey, import my users from HR or Active Directory or whatever. This is sort of a, a bundled way to get that information in one call you go hey give me all the active users in this cost center here they come now i can process them so scim or skim as some people will say is available as a client and as a provider on on the ServiceNow platform so when say a user is added to a group you can trigger a flow and you know do whatever you need to do in your hr system in your crm system whatever it happens to be so tied in with integrations, this looks very promising and time-saving. And, you know, in my opinion, standards are a good thing because there's so many of them. Finally, Lauren, any parting words of wisdom regarding Tokyo? Well, I think probably one of the best pieces of advice I can leave y'all with is to upgrade your PDIs. One of the first places that you can get access to all the fun Tokyo content, regardless of when your business is actually upgrading your instances, uh, is the developer website. So go ahead and get that done. PDI stands for? Personal Developer Instance. We've got another podcast that has like a swear jar, only they call it a jargon jar. <laughs> An acronym, yeah. Anytime you use you know, crazy jargon, you got to put a dollar. <laughs> so we might have to adopt that policy on this because I know there's a lot of new listeners every day. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Uh, but that's not the end. We have to get Earl's words of wisdoms regarding Tokyo. Just with... Any release that we have, whether it be Tokyo or any future ones, one of the things that I always ask my developer teams in the past to do is actually look through the release notes. Uh, you'll learn about a lot of things that are coming up and you'll see 
vision for things that might solve your problems, but you won't know any of those things unless you actually are engaging with the content of what is in that release. So whether you make it an official task for your team to look through the release notes or you just encourage it on your team, I want everyone to start taking a look at these release notes. And I know the the Tokyo release notes will be hitting the docs and everyone will have some nice light reading to do on the weekends. My goodness, this sounds like the call to action slide right from the TechNow episode. If you didn't get it, go over to devlink.sn slash TechNow and you can see it's kind of a table of contents and many of these features are mentioned quickly in there because there are so many of them beyond what we've covered here today. devlink.sn slash TechNow and you'll see the call to action is go upgrade your PDI, explore the doc site, which is what Earl said, read the release notes. And the third box on that slide is explore, experiment, do what Lauren and I mentioned earlier is like, how could I use this in my personal life? Or what could I build? Or what could I add on to an application that would make it easier, faster, less technical debt in the future, that kind of stuff. The The wheels start turning as soon as you see these. That's, that's how we get caught up and that's how you get the experience. So when you do get requirements thrown in your lap for these things from your real boss or higher up in the food chain, you're ready to react. You've got that experience or you reach out to the community and and find out more about that. So thank you, Earl. Thank you, Lauren. We will have links to your LinkedIn profiles, et cetera, as per usual. So we don't have to read them out again. And thank you, wonderful listener, for joining us today. Don't forget to check out the other ServiceNow podcasts. I can't remember which one had the uh, the swear jar, but I'm sure I'll find it and <laughs> steal that soon. You can find all of them at community.servicenow.com under the resources menu, or you can go to servicenow.com slash podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this one or any of them to get them automatically delivered to you. Breakpoint is brought to you by ServiceNow. Executive producer, me, Chuck Tomasi. Video captions by him, Earl Duque. And you can find out more about ServiceNow Developer Program at developer.servicenow.com. Again, thank you so much, Lauren and Earl, for sharing with us today. Thanks, Chuck, and welcome to the team, Lauren. Thank you all so much. I'm so excited to be here. Please let us know what you think about this podcast. You can leave feedback or ask questions in the ServiceNow community. For more great information on ServiceNow development, check out the ServiceNow developer portal at developer.servicenow.com. Thanks for listening. All right, go back in character now. You had affairs with the students? Huh. Bloopers, 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 bloopers. I, 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 uh, Josh, pers- Josh, no, Josh. So at Banjo, uh, excuse me. Uh, bloop, 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 bloop. Oh, dang. Lauren, any parting words? Let me try that again because I was talking while I was talking. Hey, that's a nice looking thing that I have no use for, but I'm going to invent one now. Uh, next thing I'm excited for is a little bit more of a nerdy one. The um, hold off on that one. That one's not public. Blah, 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 bye. Uh, go upgrade your PDI. <laughs>